Company X is developing an AI system that is a platform that allows people to share cute pictures. It knows that the system is high impact because it measures growth in terms of user population and interaction amount. Sounds reasonable. Okay. Company X has established measures to mitigate potential harms by... I'll have fun with this one. All right. Setting up a fake committee that designed forged documents labeled compliance. And has also recorded... User anecdotes. And published... Information on our users' religious orientation. <laughs> oh, Al. <laughs> you probably shouldn't have done that. All right. Okay. Hey, it's mad. <laughs> don't make fun of my answers there's, for Mad Lib. There's a little bit more Mad Lib left. All right. Don't get too excited. Okay. Company X, though, will be able to rely on... <laughs> pleading ignorance. <laughs> However, if... Pleading ignorance... Is unsuccessful... Company X may be liable to pay an administrative monetary penalty <laughs> if they are a dynamic business with a dynamic environment. Very progressive. <laughs> Ultimately, if they are unhappy with the outcome, they can launch a really, really, really big lawsuit. <laughs> because of this regulatory scheme, Canadians can feel shame. They will feel shame. <laughs> At how their rights and interests are protected. <laughs> Perfect. I think we nailed it, Tommy. I think we nailed it. You're listening to What's That Noise, the podcast that pursues matters of confusion and clarity, however and whatever that means. Oh, my goodness. Our guest today is Dr. Teresa Skaza, who is the Canada Research Chair in Information Law and Policy at the University of Ottawa and the Faculty of Law. She has authored and co-authored several books, including Canadian Trademark Law and Electronic Commerce and Internet Law in Canada, the latter of which was the winner of the 2013 Walter Owen Book Prize. And she's also a blogger, Al, which is where we got the Mad Lib from. Oh, that's where we got it from. I thought that was a pretty random way of you <laughs> introing the show. All right, that's good. All right, good. Was it weird to hear people do one of your Mad Lib? <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was. <laughs> How did we do? <laughs> well, it was actually really interesting to, <laughs> to, to, to hear it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I love the uh, Canadians will feel shame. Um, yes. They will. They will feel shame. Yeah. <laughs> I initially, I initially thought you were going to say something like happiness. Wouldn't you want our laws to to be able to position you to feel That's protected? Not, we all know, and I'm sure Teresa, you will back me up on this. We don't govern by obedience. We govern by shaming. You <laughs> broke the law, and now we will shame you in any way we possibly can. That. <laughs> We feel shame. <laughs> it's it's a, a heck of a, a blog post to read, and I know you've been blogging for quite some time in the areas of your expertise, and I've, I've come to know you and respect you very well, Teresa, for uh, being able to speak so specifically and so exactly about information issues, tech issues, privacy issues here in Canada. In fact, over the past couple of years, Teresa and I have talked uh, quite a bit about location data, smartphone issues, and so on and so forth. But, you know, recently, uh, Teresa, you've been talking quite a bit about AI legislation. And when you and I connected recently, 
I, I said to you, I'd love to have you on the show. And I'm very curious about the kinds of uncertainties and ambiguities and confusions that you or somebody else in your field may have encountered when it comes to AI. And then I saw this Mad Libs post and I thought to myself, it, I get the sense that Teresa's having some fun, but it also sounds, <laughs> Teresa, like you're a little bit frustrated. Yeah, well, uh, that's right. And the, the government has just introduced this new bill to regulate AI in Canada. And of course, everybody was, first of all, surprised um, that it, it was part of Bill uh, C-27 because it seemed to come out of the blue. And then secondly, um, you know, when I looked at, at the the the, the the bill to see what the the content was. Um, what I saw was that so many of the issues, the important issues to how this is going to work and what it will govern, are left to regulations. So there's no content in there. They're just a bunch of gaps, like in a Mad Lib, to in in which the the regulations will fill in the blanks. And so the Mad Lib I created was was built around all of these gaps in the in the bill. Uh, Parliament is expected or is being asked to pass this bill, which doesn't have a lot of content. It's meant to govern high-impact AI systems, for example, and there's no definition of a high-impact AI system, so we don't even know what that is. That's left for the regulations. <laughs> so, Come on. No, That's I'm serious. That's real, That's it? real. So they're, oh, they're being asked to pass goodness. this into law, and then we'll get the regulations later to fill in the gap. So I thought, when, when I saw it, I thought, you know, this is this is Mad Libs. This is statutory Mad Libs. Oh this is what goodness. we're being asked to do. And so that's why I, I, uh, I did up that blog post. Now, now to be fair, and I know you want to jump in here, Al. I, I, I promise so I'll, pass you so the, much. I'll pass you the torch in just a moment. But to be fair, uh, and I really encourage everyone listening to go to Teresa's wonderful blog on her website, right. Teresa Scazza, that's S-C-A-S-S-A dot C-A, and, and read the blog post, which is front and center, right in the middle of her, her wonderful website. And you will see this Mad Lib. If you don't wait too long, because I'm sure At Teresa will point, have others. Be, but right, right, right. It, yeah, to yeah. be fair, though, the the when you're playing this Mad Lib, it's not as though Teresa, you're saying, put random verb here, like I did with Al, or insert random noun. You're you're saying more specifically, and I find this to be really cutting and, and making a really wonderful point. Insert a definition of a high impact system because it just does, just doesn't exist, like you said. Mm-hmm. Insert how a company should assess impact. Another one that you provide that Al answered. The third one which I believe you entered setting up a fake committee that designed forged documents labeled <laughs> That's what compliance. every company does. <laughs> you, you say insert measures that the company took to comply with regulations. And so it's, it's not as though that, Teresa, you're just concocting this out of nowhere like a, 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 a random Mad Lib. There's something really, really cutting and pointed about saying that there are some real critical gaps here. And it sort of reveals the extent to which people have not been thinking about the actual content that should go into mm. a bill like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that these these issues have been cascading for some time. Well, to, and if, again, if we're going to be fair, since you suggested we should be fair, um, the go- <laughs> what the government is, uh, I, what the government says that it is responding to is the need for agile. And I, you know, in the tech law field in particular, or technology field in particular, you get these buzzwords that become really popular, Right. you know, like right. um, pivot. Everybody, for a while, everybody was pivoting. Anyway, now it's agile regulation. And regula- regulation has to be agile um, because it's such a rapidly changing environment. And so 
the idea is that if you pass a law that is too specific about the technology and about what needs to be done, then it's not going to be sufficiently agile as the technology changes and evolves. And so if you leave uh, things to regulation, then you can change more quickly the, the content of the regulations than the content of the legislation. And I agree that there are some things that may be best left to regulation, but it seems to me that there are also things that you have to have enough sense of what the law is about before you can say this is a good law, we should pass it. And I don't think this law actually has enough in it to know what it really is meant to do. Um, you, and and you, so that's a flaw for me. You, you would know more than than both Tommy and I put together would about about the way the language of law uh, in general, when whether it's AI or, or anything. Uh, and I think that's really interesting that they at least acknowledge that there needs to be this flexibility in the language. But isn't that like the game of Russian roulette that they play in every law that's come out is we need to use a precise word. And then somebody says, oh, I took the definition of that word to mean something else. And that's what we would call a legal loophole and, <laughs> and things along those lines. Right. Uh, and so what is unique about this because I, I, and I, I'm in I'm in full agreement that it the language and the words sound very arbitrary. Uh, what is the uniqueness to this particular law that we don't see in other laws that are being being brought out, especially when it comes to the the, the I think the word that you used was the agility of language. Yeah, well, I you know I think the the probably the most important thing is that it's it's law that's meant to govern high impact ai systems and and so you know that there is obviously public concern about high impact ai systems and and uh, because nobody wants to, <laughs> those high impact systems to uh, highly impact them in a negative way um, and 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 there's been a lot of discussion about what those high impact systems are, and those are ones, uh, for example, in the EU, they've uh, put limits, pretty strict limits, or they're planning to put pretty strict limits on facial recognition, the use of facial recognition in various contexts, because the potential um, for facial recognition systems to go horribly awry um, and to have significant adverse impacts, particularly on um, on uh, minority communities is, you know, is proven. And, and so, um, so that's identified as one, but there are many other types of high, potentially high impact systems. And so, um, you know, here's a law that's going to govern high impact systems, but they don't tell us what they're going to consider a high impact system. <laughs> So it, you know, it, it, it seems it sounds so, like you're being facetious, and I know no, you're not. You're, you're laughing, and, and Teresa's not. I'm like, I know we don't publish this podcast with video, but we can see you. We have a right. webcam going, and it, but I mean, Teresa's the, not the, laughing. But no, no, I know. But but as you're describing it, uh, Teresa, as you're describing it, I'm looking. I'm like, I, I can't help but look as kind of somebody that's not as inside as you are. Look and just say, well, what the heck was the government doing then? They would have spent hours and hours and hours drafting this bill, putting it through drafts, having readings and committees and, and all of these people and all of these supposedly smart people were in a room redoing this. And they just kind of said, oh, just put this word down. Like just, just, yeah, for, for lack of a better term, let's just very, use that. Uh, very scary like, picture like here. That's where it's almost comedic to me is how much how much kind of made up words, like they would have spent hours just to, like 
choosing a word that they knew meant nothing as a placeholder. They would have spent hours doing that, right, Teresa? Like they would have, like this isn't just something that they wrote on a cocktail napkin. They actually put thought into how terrible this bill actually is in in essence, right? I admire your faith in government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old naive Al over here, right? Good old naive Al. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I, I mean, I, and I don't want to be disrespectful to the to the work that would have gone into this, but this is not like other bills that we've seen. I mean, the, the, the this is part of um, Bill C-27, and, and the other parts are a, a bill to reform the data protection law and um, a bill to create a tribunal that um, people are arguing about whether we need or not. And but bo we've seen both of those before. They were in um, an earlier bill that was heavily criticized and that failed. And, and so they've come back and they've been revised in response to some of those criticisms. But even before that, there were um, consultations. Um, the privacy commissioner weighed in. They were, there was all sorts of discussion. And in fact, it had been going on for years before that bill was drafted. The, nobody was really even expecting to see this AI act. It, it just came out of nowhere and was, you know, was added to the end of this bill. Um, and so the level of consultation, the level of seeking input into this has not been there. And maybe the idea mm -hmm. is, well, let's just get it passed. And, and then everybody can <laughs> have their input when it comes to the regulation stage. Gotcha. Um, Cause we're going to do all this stuff in the regulations and people can talk to us about it then. But so, you know, this is a little bit different and, um, and, you know, to me, and maybe I'm just old fashioned. Maybe I don't like agile. Maybe I like <laughs> yeah. the kind of kind of uh, inflexible. Regu no, I don't. But you know, but maybe I'm just old fashioned, and I look at this and I say, this isn't how you make regul. This isn't how you make laws, because really, Parliament is supposed to be that democratic forum where our democratically elected representatives debate the merits of a particular law, and yeah. So I guess I am old fashioned. That's what I think should happen. <laughs> Oh, oh, old fashioned for thinking that government and yeah, law yeah. should work in the way that we're used to it working in. But uh, do you know what it reminds me a lot of, Tommy? And I'm sure you can remember it. And, and do Teresa, tell me, Al. It reminds me of when Napster was was the the music uh, downloading service, and it reminds me of never when heard the, of it. No, it reminds me of when the government was trying to. Um, uh, trying their hardest to kind of police it and put in policies and things along those lines for it. And what was really interesting was you had so many people in the government that were still kind of, uh, I'm being facetious, obviously, but this internet, it's just a fad. Like there, there was a lot of, you know, kind of older people that were like, I don't really even understand what this is, but now you want me to put together a law about it? All right, yeah, sure, I'll try to figure it out. And although the, the language wasn't trying to be agile, you could tell they just didn't, didn't give a flying fadoo about what it was because they were just kind of saying, yeah, let's just get like, let's just kind of put something down on paper. So it looks like we're trying. Would that be kind of similar to, to what we're seeing here now? Or is there something more in depth, Teresa? Well, I mean, I think that, that it's an interesting question. Um, Cause it also rem reminds me of, um, of the early days of um, privacy, uh, private sector, privacy laws. So, um, so now I am going to be <laughs> giving away my age a little bit, but oh, yeah. you know, the, the bill that they're trying to reform uh, um, uh, on um, data protection or privacy um, in the private sector was controversial 
in when it was initially introduced because businesses were saying, hey, don't put these obligations on us to wh- when we're collecting personal data because it's going to be such a regulatory burden that it's going to uh, uh, stymie innovation and it's going to you know, it's going to hurt our bottom lines and it's just going to be a drag on business with no clear benefit. Um, and and certainly in the United States, you heard that loud and clear from some of the big platform companies um, at the time saying, you know, if you legislate privacy, you're going to stifle innovation. And this is a great opportunity to innovate. And so in the U.S., they really didn't legislate privacy. In Canada, we got a fairly weak law that we've been uh, attempting to reform for some time now to add teeth to it and to strengthen it, in part because what's happened in the meantime is these unregulated platform companies have become um, so powerful and control so much personal data and have um, you know, put in place business models that have clearly caused harms um, in in a whole variety of different contexts, and you've got uh, you, you know you have people being um, adversely impacted by all sorts of data breaches from you know a range of companies that have collected too much personal information that haven't uh, secured it properly that you know all of these sorts of things, and so you you know it's very clear that there are all of these. Uh, harms right now that come from this rampant collection of data and that maybe we didn't take it seriously enough in the first place and maybe we should have had um, more legislation, more regulation. Now you fast forward to the AI context and the AI industry is telling government, if you put too much uh, control on it, if you put too much regulation in place, um, you're going to stifle innovation. And that will be bad for Canada because Canada wants to be a player in the world of AI and AI will be good for the economy. And so the government is listening to this and is concerned about stifling innovation and wants to, in addition to being agile, wants to take a very kind of gentle, soft approach with respect to industry so as not to stifle it. But the risk is that if that's what happens, um, that people will be harmed. And we're already seeing the harms of of algorithms and AI uh, in society. There's plenty of AI around us and, and you know, not all of it is cause, causing harm, but some of it is. And, um, you know, there's lots of promise that it's going to do all of these great things for us. Um, and some of it may, um, but, there, but there are already very clear harms. And so this is, this is the, the point at which we find ourselves where the government is acting, um, but it, is acting in a very cautious, it's supposed to be agile, which means it's going to be in the regulations and and it's probably not going to be, um, yeah, I think the goal will be to not put too much of a burden on business so as not to stifle innovation. So, I mean, you know. I, I hadn't seen that, I hadn't seen that angle at all, like that this would be an idea to help fight for the economy. So thank you for helping clarify that because uh, uh, the motive for it was always lost for me there. So thank you very much for helping me understand that, that there would be this idea kind of like, and, and we saw it when uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau first kind of took office was this boost for saying, we're going to be an, uh, uh, an e- uh, one of our economic drivers is going to be the tech sector and, and things like that and, mm-hmm. and making all these trade missions and everything like that. I didn't parlay that into AI. So thank you so much for helping me make that connection, Teresa. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, well, Canada you know, certainly wants to be a player in in, in the AI mm-hmm, absolutely. field. Absolutely. And you know, the, the pandemic has really accelerated that. I think when we think back to where we were heading into it, the conversation uh, publicly was quite a bit different about AI. And I, th- I remember talking to you about this a couple of hours yeah. ago, Al, yeah. where you're saying, uh, 
Terminator and Skynet and AI is going to destroy the world and everybody. And I'm still not convinced that it won't do that. But I digress. I digress. The pandemic has really changed things. In some ways, it's slowed down legislation and progress. But in other ways, it's opened up new doors for innovation, as it were, for agile development. We're seeing far more companies invest in, for example, trying to find ways to cut back on administrative tasks so that people can work from home in a more fluid, agile way mm -hmm. so that more of their time is uh, productive. It's more efficient. They're able to get the menial things done and, and out of the way so that they can focus on the more critical and creative tasks. But somehow uh, coming out near this weird, normalized pandemic, not quite post-pandemic world yet, AI seems to have far more purchase and far more interest across the private sector. And so initially, I was kind of glad, you know, selfishly, personally, to see this legislation <laughs> get moving. But then I, I talked to Teresa and I talked to my colleagues and you read between the lines and you read some of these blog posts and uh, on Teresa's website. Teresa, one of the recent ones that you you uh, had written was on consent where you're, you're making this very specific point about corporations feeling like legislation is going to make it burdensome for them to work with data. And I, I look at some of the other blog posts on data for good and the right of erasure, and you've talked about a lot of things here. And I think there's a lot of confusion. I think there's been a lot of momentum, which hasn't been great. I'm picking up from you that the speed, the rapidity has not been productive. Mm -hmm. It's left us open to a lot of critical gaps. But I wanted to use this as an opportunity to ask you just more generally, what are some of the major concerns or head scratchers or confusions that you've been been dealing with? Have I captured them when I say <sighs> things like right of erasure and consent and data for good? Uh, is there a more specific point that you've been really wrestling with that you, you'd like to uh, to share with us on the show today? Well, you know, you mentioned the right of erasure, and I think that's an interesting um, piece of this legislation, which shows confusion in a lot of different ways. Um, confusion and conflict um, because the right of erasure is something. So in, in some ways, Canada is also reforming its laws to bring it up to the, uh, to the standard of the EU's uh, general data protection regulation, because um, that have, that will have important trade implications for Canada. If the EU judges our legislation to be adequate in, in comparison with their legislation. Um, so that's one of the reasons for reforming the law. And the EU in their in their GDPR added this right of erasure, which is basically a right to go to an organization and ask them to delete the information they have about you. Um, and, and so, you know, if you if you stop doing business with a company, you say to them, delete my account, to, you know, get rid of the data that you're holding about me. Um, because uh, I just, you know, I don't want all this data just sitting out there. I, I want to try to have at least some control over my data. Um, so it's a it's a right for the for the data user. And the previous bill included this right of erasure, but it limited it to an individual only being able to ask an organization to delete the data that the organization had collected from them. Um, oh, I see. And that's pretty limiting when you think about the potential for organizations to to buy data from data brokers, to buy data about people from data brokers, to um, to scrape data from the internet, to uh, mine social media for for data about individuals, um, to collect, um, to to develop their own profiles of individuals. So to to you know to profile individuals in particular ways and to store those. There's all kinds of ways in which data can be generated about individuals that 
doesn't come from them. And so the response was, well, that's not much of a right of erasure if we only get you to have you delete, delete our name and address and phone number or whatever we provided directly. Um, and and so and, and at the same time, business was saying to government, stop you know, with all these extra burdens on us, because particularly for small businesses, and, I, and these are legitimate concerns as well, for small businesses, if there's too much paperwork that has to be done, too much responding to, to requests for deletion and so on, that that can be very challenging and creates additional uh, compliance work, um, which some businesses are not going to be able to easily afford. So, so, that's the, so the government goes back to the drawing board and comes back with this right of erasure, which allows individuals to request the deletion of all of the personal information that the organization has under their control. A win for people, right? Win for mm -hmm. new Canadians who Yay. now have a very broad right of erasure. So you can feel happy about that. On the other hand, they create this exception to the right in a case where a company has a, a deletion schedule for data. So, it, you know, if they basically oh, no. say, <laughs> we keep your data, we will keep this data for five years after which we will dispose of it, then all they have to do when you make a request for deletion is say, we have a deletion timetable and your data will be disposed in four and a half years, disposed of in four and a half years. But they have to actually write that, they have to provide that explanation to you in writing. So in my blog post, perhaps a little bit facetiously, I, I, I mean, I call it the erasable right of erasure because on the one hand, you have a right of erasure. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, the company can get out of having to do all of this deletion of data, which they were concerned, concerned about being a burden, but they have to actually, they get out of it, except that they have to respond in writing to all of these requests. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, now it's almost like the, it's almost like the law is you have to erase things unless you don't want to. You, yeah. you know, that's what that's what the wording of the law should be. Yeah. But you still have to do the paperwork. And and so people don't have a right of erasure and companies have bureaucracy. It's like, wow. I don't know what that, that is. Oh, my goodness. It, it just it's like a, a catch 22. Right. I'll, 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 probably a loose definition of a catch 22. But it's like this this feedback loop of nonsense really is is what it is. Right. When I was discussing with you, reaching out to you, Teresa, to have you on the show, I, I thought two things. Uh, it's going to be about AI, probably, <laughs> was the first one. And then secondly is, uh, what specifically could we talk about around uh, the, the legislation? And I'm seeing in the blog post that there's some confusion and some head scratching going on here. And I, I felt this urge as a host to try to exact you know, what's Teresa's confusion right, or, or right. if it's not going to be Teresa's confusion, right. maybe it needs to be about like legislators confusion. Right. Maybe it's the field. Right. Yeah. Right, right. I'm going to yeah, ontologize yeah, yeah. it that way for all you philosophy nuts listening yeah. to the show. Could a field be confused? Is there like a limit to the paradigm of, of legal thinking here that uh, we could talk about? But what I'm realizing is that there are so many other issues right. that this, uh, Agile, as it were, legislation is trying to, to use. It's for wonderful, it? isn't, isn't it? Term? Agile. Yeah. I'm going to say agile. Yeah. Often. <laughs> yeah. This agile legislation is is kind of blowing past that are are being left unresolved right. and related issues on the side that makes this particularly confusing. No matter which way you look at it. And and, and another aspect, and Teresa, feel feel free to jump in and correct me if I'm wrong. But another aspect for me that is the confusion is just trying to see the motivation for why things are being done at this way right like the whole motivation of why all right so 
we have a business side, we've got a personal side. Who are we speaking on? Whose side is the government on? Are they on the business side or mm. on the people's side? Or and and then whose side are uh, uh, who, whose side is is Facebook on? Is Facebook on our side trying to provide a service, or are they on? You can kind of go back and forth on all of those, right, Teresa? It, it feels like that. Even the motivation is part of the confusion uh, of it. Why are they doing it this way? Almost. Yeah. Well, that's right. And I mean, it is. Yeah. You, it's part part of it, and I think part of it is also that you have these um, very difficult to reconcile. Well, one of the things that they did in this in this um, this most recent bill is they added a preamble, um, and in the preamble they basically set out some of the public policy reasons that are motivating the legislation. So it's an attempt to explain, you know, what it is that's that's motivating this legislation. Um, and so if you look at the preamble, well, there's just a lot of different stuff in there. They, you know, they want to support industry um, and they want to, uh, they, they recognize that privacy is, uh, is a human right, but they want to support industry and they don't want to be too burdensome. And there's, so there's all of these different um and they want to support the data, uh, you know, the the digital and data economy, and they, you know, and and to ensure the potential for innovation, um, and the use of data for good. Um, so, so you've got this long list of things that they're trying to do, um, and that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff to accomplish mm -hmm. in one legislation, particularly when some of those interests are not don't necessarily coincide. Um, or where there where there are issues on which people will have some pretty strong differences of opinion as well. Could, could I could I offer a solution? Because you know, sure. yeah, I've got it all figured out here. <laughs> okay, he Why? usually does. Yeah, you know, eh? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is usually where Tom has to deal with all the emails. Or saying, Why drum even, roll. Yeah, why do you even let that idiot on the show? Is kind of what most of the emails Tom has to deal with uh, all the time. But why would the government not put together something with? solid definitions and everything like that. And then as different issues arise, put amendments to those laws. Why, why would they not try to put something in more secure to begin with? And then start saying, okay, as we start getting more information, we'll add that into the laws. Why, why would it not be done that way rather than these ambiguous terms that they're throwing in there? Yeah, and that used to be the way it was done, but the the, right. the reality is that it's become harder and harder to get space on the legislative agenda. Um, oh, and interesting. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that, for example, that the government has promised to do that they haven't yet been able to do. Um, we're waiting for you know bills on other issues and other subjects. It's just really hard to get things onto the legislative agenda, and I so see. passing a new law uh, that the government has promised is always going to take precedence over amending an existing law. And it's so so that's the challenge is to what a it, mess, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I yeah. never never in a million years would I have thought that that was that was going to be the the problem. And I mean, I, I guess that shows that my naivety and as you said, my faith in government. But it's just literally, uh, there's too much to do. And so uh, we, we've got uh, 28 hours of work to do, and we've only got 24 hours in the day type thing. Yeah, that's a really interesting problem in itself. Well, that's right. And and so some are speculating that, well, I mean, it's, it's hard to say why the AI Act has been added to this particular bill and is not coming through as a separate bill. And some are mm -hmm. wondering whether it means that 
um, because we really are up against the wall in terms of reform, reforming the privacy laws because of the European Union's adequacy assessment, because of business just saying, like, you know, rip that Band-Aid off. Let's just get it done so we yeah, know what, yeah. what we have to do. Um, there's a lot of pressure to get this bill passed uh, for the privacy side of things. So, you know, some are saying, well, did the AI Act get get added to it as a it's an all or nothing proposition? You you know, if you want your privacy bill, you're going to have to pass this um, unbaked um, piece of legislation um, or half-baked piece of legislation, whatever you want to call it. And and that's that's the deal or whether those can be severed. And so that will be really interesting to see. It, it may just be it's going to be a take it or leave it. If you want privacy reform, then you have to uh, go with this um, AI act and just hold your nose, even though you may not like uh, may not like it. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's another thing. And that I don't know if that has something to do with the, the busy legislative agenda or whether it's just a government realizing that they're running out of runway in terms of getting some of the things done that they promised to do um, and and just wanting to move it along as fast as possible. But we may be looking at that as well. The, the, the just it's funny, like, right, like uh, you, you always try to find an analogy at, at you know, your, 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 a personal analogy to try to understand it. And it, it really does. The more you're explaining just uh, about that, uh, the difficulty and just even getting time to to explain and pass laws and everything like that. You know, it just reminds me of kind of like, all right, you know what? I got to clean the house. I'm not going to vacuum. Because I don't have time to vacuum. So let's just get like the garbage picked up, you know, like that's almost kind of feels like what they're doing just in a rush. Let's get something on paper here so that we can move on. And and the more you're explaining that, that's kind of it almost not that it eliminates the confusion, but it almost makes sense for what all the holes are in the document. Right. Like that almost kind of helps helps me understand a little not make it okay, but kind of just say, oh, I get it. Yeah, we've all kind of been in that situation. We got to get something in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that may, you know, that may be part of it, but, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make it, doesn't make it sit any easier, does it? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of not knowing things. It, it's always difficult, I think, to, uh, talk really critically and deeply about something that's in the process of happening. Yeah. Uh, this, mm. this has been a long time coming and there's a lot of work left to do, but it's it's not as though that there's like a, a concrete empirical document that three of us could sit through. Right. Well, really, it would just be well, you, Al. Let, let me just <laughs> give it to you and let you do it. But. Well, let, let, let me just ask, ask a quick question, only because you commented on it, it's been sitting with me and and uh, certainly not as an insulting way, almost in a humorous way, that I do want to come back to because I, I think that there's merit to the discussion, is you said, Al and I admire your faith in government and me, you know, this, this idea that, uh, that the government actually spent time thinking about this and, and things along those lines. If you had to wager, Teresa, if you had to put money down, would you believe that, would you believe that, I don't even know, half, three quarters of the government understands technology and this enough that they would be able to put together a competent law? Or are they well, relying on 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 advisors or people who know committees, fake committees, as as it were, to to help them design these laws? Like I, I almost feel like if I was elected as an MP for for London West or something like that, and they said you got to design this law, I would say somebody else do this for me because I don't understand this. Yeah, and they and so it's it's the it's the um, minister's department, the responsible minister's department that um, that is responsible for. Um, drafting the legislation and they do have and, and uh, you know there certainly are uh, a lot of uh, very smart 
um, very, uh, very, uh, you know, deeply concerned, principled people who are working away on this. I love that you almost said competent and then no, backed no. away from it. I, w- I was going to the principal. I, no, I, 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 I'm not going to impugn their competence at all. Like I, I actually right. think that these are people who work really hard. And are, now they're given certain parameters, and they're told they have to work within those parameters. But I do think that um, you know I have a lot of respect for for the work that people do within government departments in trying to come up with legislation. It's not easy, um, especially when you're working when you're told you have to do it quickly, when you're told you have to please absolutely everyone um, mm-hmm. and their dog and when you know uh, <laughs> and when you're dealing with such an uncertain area like AI right and and where it may not be entirely clear exactly the government may perhaps not have exactly settled yet on a particular uh, policy perspective or point of view so I mean I, I do think what they that they have a challenging job and so in mm-hmm. a sense there's the people behind the scenes that are doing this work and I actually um, have a lot of respect for them and their competence but then there's also sort of the you know the people driving the bus which is the government the, the, the elected members the, the government who you know are making those higher level decisions about what's going to go through and what's not going to go through and what their agenda is and um, and, and so, um, yeah, so that's complicated too. I'm glad this is a podcast about confusion. If it was a podcast about, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if it was about uh, certainty, I would really be a bad guest. <laughs> honestly, honestly, uh, uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy introduces me to, to more and more people that he's worked with and had conversations with. And I, I don't leave a single podcast and, and Tommy will vouch for this. I don't leave a single podcast having spoken with somebody. And I don't say to him on my way out the door, it's like, Geez, that person is smart. Like, holy smokes, Teresa, you are smart. And like, just like the, to, to live in this world of ambiguity and try to find any sort of order in the chaos and then be able to come up with an analysis of it and then be able to come up with guesses as to where it should be going or how it could be going and everything like that. I mean, I'm just, the whole conversation itself is just so far above what people would normally think is going on behind the door. I just leave uh, uh, awestruck with, with the intelligence of people like yourself, Teresa, that are, that are, are kind of in the, in the swamp of it all. I mean, it really is impressive. It's beyond impressive. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so, so thank you so much for admitting your confusion, because if you've got a little <laughs> bit of confusion, I might as well just be under the table in a fetal con- uh, position crying for crying out loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, when I was uh, reflecting with Teresa uh, on on other privacy related issues over the years, I I seem to recall a few touch points, Teresa, where where we'd both be in a Zoom call and we'd sit back and scratch our chins and say, "Now what?" You know, there, there's not always answers, and I, mm-hmm. I think part of the reason why I really uh, really value people such as yourself and Brenda McPhail and Dylan Mahmoudi and all of our other wonderful guests who've been on the show in the past is that. Yeah, you're willing to be vulnerable with us mm-hmm. um, in in allowing our listeners to hear a more human side to what it's like to be a professional trying to work through these issues. And yeah. I think what the occasion of noise and confusion reveals to us as a group as we're talking here is that there's a lot of discomfort in not knowing. There's a lot of uncertainty. And and shoot, even by virtue of our our respective trainings and backgrounds, Teresa. I know you're in, in law and I'm in a very different different uh, field, but we both have a, a mutual passion for theory and criticism. And we don't go through those intellectual movements, as it were, uh, always knowing 
what the outcome should be. We don't always know what the solution uh, should be because we're often trained to look for the problems. We're often That's trained right. to look for the gaps. And yet, and yet, this is still really disconcerting. This is still really troublesome and problematic. And so if you guys don't mind, I'd like to pivot here just a little bit. Good, good because... use of that word, by the way. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you think so. Maybe yeah. we could mad lib it later. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to just level set a little bit for people who are listening, because I know that AI is confusing to begin with. And I know that the pandemic and the way in which it has accelerated companies and government using AI has added even more confusion. Then you've got uh, PIPEDA and FIPA and all these different pieces of legislation in the background that we've touched on in passing, which also adds more confusion. But I want to talk a little bit about the implications. Would you be able to help us understand a little bit why you're concerned in terms of what sorts of problems everyday people, people like our listeners might run into if we don't get this AI legislation mm. right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a good question. And um, and so maybe, maybe start with some of the, you know, because we're being told that AI um, is going to be in many ways our salvation. So there's the economic dimension that Canada wants to be a player and this will mm. create uh, high value jobs and so on. Um, there, there are also the, there's also the promise that AI will be able to do things that we as uh humble, ordinary humans can't do. Um, and so there's a lot of, for example, there's a lot of hope for the use of AI in healthcare and in medicine to be able to uh, to to process vast amounts of data to look for correlations that might help us identify more quickly um, uh, treatments or medications uh, to treat diseases, or that might help us better analyze uh, x-ray images and, and do it you know, quickly and more accurately than doctors. So there's, you know, there's all of this promise of AI. Um, in terms of its impacts, they can range from um, impacts on the workforce, uh, both in terms of um, the uh, what it's going to do to some jobs. It's going to eliminate some jobs. It's going to, you know, we're told it's going to make jobs more interesting because the AI will do the routine stuff and then the humans will be able to focus on the really you know, uh, interesting questions or issues, but that may be for some sectors, but it won't necessarily be for all of them. So, you know, what's it going to do for for for, uh, for the for the workforce for the workplace? What's it going to mean um, also for the workplace in terms of what we're starting to see, which is a, a, an uptick in the use of AI as a form of workplace surveillance and um, uh, performance monitoring, uh, right? So that it's not just, you know, we're used to um, a certain level of surveillance in the workplace for security purposes, but but this is monitoring how employees do their job the whole time they're doing their job, uh, from keystroke monitoring to how, how often they're looking at the computer screen and how often they're looking away to, um, uh, to you know, to all sorts of uh, things that they may be doing in the workplace. And then you know, using AI algorithms to process that data to determine who's slacking off, who's not, who's a better performer, who needs to, you know. And so, you know, what does that do to us as a society when we're under this constant um, form of surveillance with everything we do? How do you feel about going into the office when this is, you know, this is what you're, 
what's happening in the background all the time. Um, so there's that. And then, of course, there's the other kinds of surveillance that might take place in society and, and uh, whether it's at the border or whether it's uh, within the city, the use of facial recognition technologies, the use of AI to process um, immigration and refugee cases. Um, there's been you know, some talk about, for example, the ArriveCan app sending out flawed quarantine notices to people. Um, the, so, so there's all of these ways in which um, flaws in algorithms can lead to people being wrongfully accused, uh, wrongfully quarantined, uh, excluded from some things. And then, of course, and this is, I think, a huge issue, um, the way in which some AI functions may uh, incorporate all manner of bias, which can lead to, can, can reinforce existing bias within society and have adverse impacts on communities that have uh, been traditionally marginalized and excluded from opportunities and, and so on. And part of that is because AI works on data. There's two, two broad reasons. One is it works on data. Um, and we have collected biased data in, in all of the things that we do, you know, when we've been biased. And so the data it has is not necessarily um, representative or, um, or, or unbiased data. And then, of course, there's, it's people who write, who write the code and build the assumptions into the AI. And some of those assumptions may be flawed and may reflect biases. And, and so there are real concerns that, um, you know, even in healthcare, that the AI being trained on, on biased data may simply not um, be as good at, at diagnosing certain communities than others or may, uh, members of certain communities than others. And it may, you know, have other flaws and biases built into it. Um, and, and so, you know, we have to come to terms with that and try to, to think about it. And lots of people are trying to think about how do you fix that? How do you monitor for that? How do you provide remedies for it? How do you ensure that things are properly approved? There's a huge amount of work to be done in those areas. But those are some of the things that, that, um, cause anxiety when we talk about AI. I mean, there, the potential in some areas for good is enormous, and but in other areas, the risks and the harms are are significant. And I guess I didn't even mention the AI that is actually where you have to really question the social utility altogether. Um, and we've been hearing about um, social media um, AI, for example, that generates what people see in part based on the kinds of things that um, that produce. Um, reactions. And so people may be getting more provocative material. And, and so we're starting to see the, the impacts or the effects of, of people who are getting their um, information from social media, which is driven by algorithms, which really just want people to be continuously engaging. So wants the, want them to be continually outraged. And you know, what kind of society that is this producing? Chamber, right? Exactly. That echo chamber. Yeah. 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 Um, and so some, you know, some of these uh, algorithms are just not necessarily helpful at all. They can be also used to subvert elections and they can, you know, we've been hearing about all of these negative uses. So it's, there's a lot of stuff out there. <laughs> Right, we right, have right. to think about and try to come to terms with. Yeah, and and you know what? That just reminds me. Uh, you asked me uh, for one of the Mad Libs. What's going to happen if if there's something that that, that has, and I originally said lawsuit, really yeah. really big lawsuit. Yeah. I think I'd like to change that to blame Russia, because that seems to be what the what, what the big thing is now. Right? Is is you're in trouble? Oh, Russia. Oh or yeah, they did. They <laughs> they they were the ones that did it. Yeah. Yeah. Or China. Okay, or China. That's, that's right. You're right. That's yeah. more of a that's more of a modern twist on it, right? Russia was yeah. four years ago. China is this year. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. We'll get there. And yeah. as as more time passes, I'm sure we'll get a little bit further down the road. And so here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. 
if you guys don't mind, and if you have bandwidth for it again, Teresa, I would love for you to come back on the show when this legislation is out. September, October-ish. And, yeah. and we can check back. We'll circle back to the things that we talked about today and see how much more we've progressed, particularly, uh, selfishly, in the realm of collective privacy. Yeah, I, that's right. I have an inkling, uh, Teresa. I yeah. think AI, is <laughs> AI legislation is going to fix all of that for us. Oh, <laughs> Oh dear! No, I'm just kidding. Oh dear! You, again, you can't see you can't see her face, but if you saw her face drop there, I'm like, oh Tommy. Oh In that Tommy. Teresa questioned every conversation her and I have had together for a while. Yeah. Oh my! But you know that's the other thing, right? The concept of privacy is shifting and changing, and yet the legislated what we're seeing in this legislation doesn't reflect that, and and so that's that's interesting as well. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that. Um, yeah, so, 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 so that, you know, then, then that raises the question, well, how are we addressing the, these ideas of group or collective privacy when we're just passing legislation that's based on individuals? Precisely. Yeah. I think the, this can go a lot of different directions. If we go back to the, uh, constitution's focus on, uh, the individual as opposed to, uh, to groups or community or a society, I think we, we start running into a lot of potential pitfalls, but I'm particularly concerned about this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm obviously just joshing around. I don't actually think that this legislation is going <laughs> to yeah. bring us any yeah, yeah. closer to, to, yeah. to discussing what collective privacy means, but it's it's another one of the many, many, many big stakes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, I would love to, to be able to discuss that with you again at a future date if you have time and you're interested, Teresa. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a really important um, topic that, that we should all be trying to get our heads around and something that's becoming more and more important, you know, especially in the way in which data are collected and, and are being used in technology. It's it's often not the individual that's that's uh, I mean, the individual may be the focus and may be feeling impacts, but it's often uh, the impacts are felt by groups or by society more broadly. And, and I think, Tommy, uh, as well, you talked about all those big stakes that we need to go through. And if we don't talk about all of them, it would be a real mistake. <laughs> 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 See, there's the pun. He didn't get to. He didn't get to start off with the pun, but he got to bring it in later. Thank you for joining us, Teresa. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate your time and your insight. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks to both of you. Thanks for tuning into another episode of What's That Noise? If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have a topic or guest in mind. Don't hesitate to get in touch at WTNCast. Stay tuned for bi-weekly episodes. And until next time, keep listening to the noise.